Good morning. My name is Jordan, and I'm the adult ministry pastor here at Seoul Sanctuary, and it's great to be with you today. I hope you've had a great week. I hope that the snow this past week just reminded you of the, 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 the beauty of winter, right? Um, I think we have winter fans out there. I hope so. You know, I've heard it said before that if you choose not to find the joy in snow, you will have less joy in your life and still the same amount of snow, right? Right? Okay, maybe not. Maybe not too soon. I know. I get it. I get it. I'll quit talking about snow. Uh, we, we, we can use some warm weather for a little while. You know, I really just said that to really, you know, appease Pastor Jerry anyway. So um, we're going to get into the life lesson today. I'm happy to be sharing with you. Uh, we're going to continue in our series through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we are really finding ourselves in the, the last section, really, of this letter, with chapter 15 and 16 coming up. And so over the last little while, we found ourselves in a few different places. We focused on spiritual gifts and what those are, what that entails, um, that God gives spiritual gifts to each believer, that the, the gift is meant for the common good, and uh, and last week, Pastor Jerry taught about orderly worship and just in our worship that we're making sure that we do things in an orderly way. And, uh, and, and chapter 13 just kind of reminded us of, of, of the most meaningful thing, that love kind of ties everything together. And so today, we are going to look at some of the core essential teachings, or can I even say realities, of the gospel message. And so let's open the scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, pull them out. You can follow with me. Um, starting at verse 1, it says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in Vain. And so the Apostle Paul is starting this section off by reminding them, and he's wanting to talk about the gospel. And so a good place for us to start today is to simply ponder and maybe even ask the question, what is the gospel? What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word gospel? You see, when you ask that question, it's interesting because you get a lot of different responses from people about what they perceive the gospel to be. Some people, when they hear the word gospel, immediately their mind goes to good news. And, 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 and that's true. Um, some people's mind immediately goes to God's word, and they think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They think about the gospel message that's included in the scriptures. Uh, some people think of the story of salvation, and that's what they think of when they think of the gospel. For others, um, it's an invitation to be in relationship with God. And for some, when they hear the word gospel, for some reason, they think of it simply as like a, 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 a way in which a person can get to heaven, if, you, if I could say it like that. And so there's a lot of different understandings. There's a lot of ways in which people process uh, their thoughts around the gospel. And so we all have our thoughts and ideas that first come to mind when we ponder the word gospel. And so the Apostle Paul is about to lay out the truths of the gospel for this church because they needed to be reminded of its power in their lives. You see, the honest truth is that the gospel changes everything, but has it changed everything for you? The gospel changes everything, but has it changed everything for you? 
Think back to when you first heard the gospel and perhaps believed and made a choice to follow Jesus. How did you feel in that moment? What were the things that ran through your head? Were you one of those people who was kind of inquisitive and you kind of asked questions about it? Um, maybe you were a little passive and you just sort of uh, had like an understanding. You weren't necessarily being inquisitive, but you, you really understood the depth of the message. Or were you excited? Maybe you were filled with wonder at the possibilities that awaited you because of Jesus' truth that had been made real in your life. Each one of us had a, a, a unique experience when we first heard the gospel. We all have different stories. We all have different experiences. And, you know, it's interesting because depending on where you're sharing the gospel, people react differently to it. For example, sharing the gospel in an area where people don't know it and hear it for the first time um, kind of has its own unique response because many will ask questions and become inquisitive about it which in a lot of ways is a good thing because when they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they've really thought about the implications of what that means. In North America, in Canada where we live, I would think to a certain degree we have a different challenge when it comes to communicating the gospel. I think that people have heard the message so much in some ways that it has this tendency where it can become common and we don't pay as close attention to it anymore as maybe we should. It's like, for example, getting a new device or something. You know, you get a new iPad or a new phone, and you're just blown away by what it can do, and you enjoy your device, you sit there, you play on it, but then after time, you lose that exciting feeling, and it just becomes something common. It just becomes something else that you have. Um, and you don't really get excited about it anymore, and, and it doesn't really have that initial thrill that it did uh, upon maybe opening it for the first time or buying it for the first time. Or think about it this way. It's like seeing a commercial on TV. Uh, the odd commercial can make you laugh and, uh, <laughs> and you find it clever and you think to yourself, oh, that was really well done. And then after watching that same commercial on the television again and again and again and again and again, you know, you think to yourself, oh, it was funny the first time, but, you know, 30 times later, um, you didn't even realize 30 seconds went by when you were watching it. And so, you know, we have this tendency sometimes that things that once excited us or things that once caught our attention, can ha there's this danger that it, they could just become common. And with certain things, that's fine, but when it comes to the gospel, we can never let that become common in our lives. You see, people may know the facts about the gospel, and people may have heard it before, but there is a disconnect between knowing the gospel in their daily life. And so why remind Christians of the gospel? Why is Paul starting off his letter by saying, I want to remind you of these things? Well, because we forget. Because we forget. In this case, um, some people were starting to doubt certain aspects of it. There were groups of people who were challenging the resurrection and were challenging what that meant for their life and whether that was actually something that happened and they were starting to soften on it. And the Apostle Paul would have none of that. You see, if you follow Jesus long enough, there's a temptation that you can just start to take these things for granted as well. That's another challenge that comes with it. If you follow the Lord long enough, it's easy to, use the, it's easy to lose the beauty of all that God has done and that God is doing. And, and, and we could have this temptation sometimes to treat things as common that never should be. And maybe we don't intentionally do that. Maybe consciously we'd never think that we're doing that. But we can tell that we have perhaps treated it a little more casual than we should. And so heading into the final two chapters here, the Apostle Paul is, is wanting to remind the church of some core and some essential uh, truths of the faith here. And he's taken the opportunity to affirm to them what the gospel is and why they have taken their stand on it. 
reminding them of all that Jesus has done in them and how this very much has implications for how we live today. And so he says, by this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to it. And so there is a human element here in play. We have free will, and we can make choices to hold on to the truth of the gospel or to let go. We're, we're, we're not being forced here. We follow willingly. And so we must make a conscious choice in our lives to live for Jesus and to hold firm to what the scriptures say. Yes, the gospel has changed your life, but here's the, here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Is it still changing your life day by day by day? Is it having its effect on your decisions? Is it having an effect on how you live and on what you give your time to and all those kinds of things? And so the Apostle Paul begins to describe what this gospel is in, in, in verse 3. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. He says, For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And so Paul gives them the core basics of the gospel message in verse 3. Paul summarizes what was already known in an oral society. And these fundamental core truths were already being circulated around among the churches. And Paul picks up on this and says, when I was with you, this is the message I gave you. Jesus the Christ, Christ meaning Messiah in the Hebrew scriptures, dies for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, let's just make a note on that. When he says the scriptures, he's not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John here in this particular moment because those weren't written yet. And so he's referring to the first half of the Bible. He's referring to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And so often when we think gospel, we think Jesus, we think death, we think resurrection, and all of that is right. But I think we must broaden our horizons to seeing what God has done. God has been doing one thing since the beginning of time that now finds its fulfillment in Jesus. You see, the story of Scripture really, in a lot of ways, can be seen in a few stages. And I'll just list five of them. We, we, we start in the beginning with the story of creation. In, in, in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall, the fall of, of man. Um, and, and, and then it continues, and we see the story of God's relationship with Israel, which is like this big series of, you know, obedience, disobedience, 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 right? And it's just this kind of back and forth thing going on. But then we see that this story finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And then finally, we see, that we, we, we see the truth and beauty of new creations in Christ being believers. And I must mention that in, in each of these things, we always see God's initiating work. God pursues us. You see, the gospel truly is good news. This is why the early church experienced persecution is because their message was not necessarily popular with the message of their day. 
For many in this time, the good news that many would have spoke of in these days was that Caesar is Lord would have been their motto. They would have said the motto, Caesar is Lord, and Caesar was who would have received such a title and such distinction. But for the Christians, it, 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 that wasn't their model. That wasn't what they, what they stood on. They didn't say Caesar is Lord, but they were like, no, we got good news, and it's that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord is where they took their stand. And this was totally countercultural to what was happening at the time. And it resulted in persecution. And the gospel truth was that Jesus died for our sins according to what the scriptures had always pointed to. That he was buried, but he didn't stay there, but he was raised on the third day. And this, again, was pointed to in the scriptures, Paul says. And then he appeared to Peter and the twelve, and then to many people, to James, to the apostles. And then, finally, last of all, he appeared to the apostle Paul himself. You see? And you could read about that experience in, in the book of Acts in chapter 9, uh, specifically verses 3 to 6, in this encounter where, where the Apostle Paul, Saul at the time, encounters Jesus. And after this encounter with Jesus, the Apostle Paul, a man who stood by his personal convictions, who persecuted the church, he was never going to be the same again because of that encounter. You see? This gospel, this good news that he received was going to change his life forever. There's implications involved when we accept the gospel. It was going to change his path. It was going to change his convictions. It was going to change his desires. It was going to change his motivations. We were going to see all sorts of change happen in his life. You see, when you encounter the good news and accept it, you were going to notice change happening as you become a new creation in Christ. Things that were once desirable aren't necessarily desirable anymore. The things that you long for are often the things of God's heart, and you're going to see change happen in your life. You see, we talked earlier about what the gospel is to many, but the goal of the Christian life, if I could just say this, is not about getting to heaven. Although Christians will be with Jesus forever, and that's amazing. I'll never downplay that. But the goal of the Christian life now is recognizing that I am a part of the people of God, and I get to reflect to the world how great Jesus is. I get to reflect that same love that he's shown me back to the world, and I get to be a part of something. We can make a difference. And Paul is going to share about this. And so let's keep reading the rest of our text this morning. Uh, verse 9, let's pick up in. He says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And here it is. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. And so in verse 9, the Apostle Paul really begins to show us the application. When Paul sees himself, he sees how much God has changed him. He started off as a Pharisee, the, and not only a Pharisee, he was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He was the best of the best. He stood up for what he believed in to the point of shedding blood, and yet Jesus got a hold of his life. <laughs> Jesus changed 
his life. When Paul sees himself, he does not see himself as like this rock star, but he calls himself in the scriptures the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church, he says. This is a man who spent the majority of his life leading people away from Jesus and putting them in jail or even worse, to death. And now we know that Paul is in Jesus and he has relationship with God and he says, I am what I am in him and it is all by grace. Grace is such a beautiful thing, friends. And we're going to focus for the rest of this morning just on that word grace and the grace of God and what that implies for, for the Apostle Paul, what that implies for me, what that implies for you. You see, this had nothing to do with him, but it was all because of what Jesus had done. And so the Apostle Paul wasn't sitting there thinking like, oh, you know, I'm great, you know, you're so lucky to have me a part of the church. No, for him, he pointed towards what Jesus did in his life. And this is a strong reminder, I think, to many of us that if you think that God's impressed um, that you're in his family, you're sadly mistaken. And I know most of us don't feel that way and carry an attitude of like, well, you know, God's pretty lucky to have us on the team. But do we ever maybe sometimes live that way? Maybe we don't think that way consciously, but, but do we ever sometimes, do our, do our actions, do our attitudes ever reflect such an attitude as if God owes us something, as if we're entitled to something? You see, our culture in many ways can model an attitude of entitlement, that we're owed something and that we deserve something more than others. And this can even creep into how we live out our faith in Jesus Christ if we are not careful. And the Apostle Paul says it. He says, I am the least of the apostles. You see, God owes you nothing. God is good, gracious, and kind. And he takes people like us who are messed up, who, uh, you know, who have missed the mark, and he recreates us. And this is the beauty of the gospel. He gives us his Holy Spirit, forgives us of our sin, gives us a whole new life, a whole new chapter in our story. And he asks us, and gives us the opportunity to follow him. But this isn't because of anything that we do or that we bring to the table. We're not owed anything. It has nothing to do with where we're born. It has nothing to do with our circumstances. But we must never forget that this is all by grace that we are part of God's family. This is grace made alive to us. You see, in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, we read this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, when you truly understand the the gospel, you begin to see every good thing that God gives you as grace. And none of it is earned, but all of it is blessing. All of it is unmerited favor. You see, we don't deserve it. And the Apostle Paul says in verse 10 that I worked harder than all of them. And so sometimes we, we read that and we pause for a second, and, and it causes us to stop and perhaps say, well, that's works, isn't it? He's talking about works now. I thought this was all about grace. I thought this was not of works. You know, yes, it is. He, 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 this is talking about works. But the difference here is in the motivation behind the works, you see? In Ephesians 2.10, we read, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, 
to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul sees the gospel not as simply an accept Jesus and get out of jail transaction, you know. It, it, it's beautiful that we are freed from our sins and that we are part of the kingdom. That's, that's absolutely true. But he sees the gospel as an invitation to now live the life that God had always intended for him, that God had prepared in advance things that he was going to do. You see, Paul's motivating factor was to serve Jesus. To, and, and to serve Jesus, his motivating factor wasn't because he was trying to earn something. It wasn't because he was trying to make repayment on something. Did he work hard? Yes, harder than everyone else, he says. But we must understand that Paul's motivation here, because I truly believe that when we do, we will see that the freedom that he lived in, we're going to see the grace and love that he experienced, and we're going to see how it was that that changed him. It was that that caused him to work as hard as he did. It was grace. Grace empowered him. He says in verse 10, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Grace seemed to be the factor here. Grace seemed to change. Grace seemed to have an empowering thing here. Grace seemed to be the empowerment for the Apostle Paul's works. He wasn't trying to earn anything, but he had received something amazing, and it changed him. It changed him forever. And again, our view of God, and I've talked about this before, and I'm going to talk about it again, is of utmost importance here in how we live for God. Our view of God is so important in how we live for God. You see, how we view God has a direct effect on how you and I live. Do we recognize that his dying for sins, being buried, being raised to life, and appearing to many is truly a sign of his love for us. Do we know that? Has it been made real in our hearts? You see, how we view God in his grace has a direct effect on how we live for him and really in how we, how we treat one another, how we love one another. And Jesus talked about this time and time again in his ministry. He took so much time just to give us a picture of God as a father, which would have been so foreign to people under the, you know, the old covenant. You know, to them, like, they would have seen God as someone that you bow down to. But this idea of father, Abba, father, was just, it was, it was a new thought for people. And Jesus talks about this all over his ministry. But one of my favorite examples of this is found in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 7. Let's read a few verses here. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now listen to this. This is such a, a, just a telling illustration of how we can view God. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so, from the text we see here in large measure, what you believe about God and what he's like will deeply shape how you interact with him. And I go so far as to say, it'll deeply shape how you interact with other people. And so what is your experience with God? Some of you know for me in my past, you know, I grew up as a kid thinking that God was always kind of out to get me. <laughs> that, you know, I had to do enough good to appease for my bad. And, you know, I was kind of like, you know, on this, 
this hamster wheel where I was trying to run and do things for God but can never really get anywhere because I was doing it all in the wrong vein. But do we ever develop our own distorted views of God? And they send us on this never-ending and tiresome, you know, chase of trying to earn his love and to earn freedom, which can never be done. Rather than simply accepting that he does love us, that he has set us free, do you perhaps sometimes see God in ways that you shouldn't? You know, I've used some illustrations in the past. Do we sometimes see God as like a cop around the corner? He's just waiting for us to mess up and then to give us trouble and to discipline us. And we live our faith in this way of, you know, it's more fear-based rather than based in love. Do we ever see God as like a talent show judge, someone that we, we feel we have to perform a certain way, we have to do certain things in order to get credit and get good words thrown our way, and, uh, and we live our life on this, this, this never-ending cycle of really just trying to, you know, impress God to earn his love, which we can't do. You know, I've had many of these views of God growing up as a kid and a teenager, and I didn't realize until, you know, later how much having incorrect views of God and, and, and him in our lives, how much that can hinder our ability to really live for him in the way he intends. And so throughout my journey, and in particular, I would think back to my first and second year of college. This is like, you know, the early 2000s. I did some journeying. And I remember just embarking on a time of studying and seeking and really just trying to correct um, in my mind some of these distorted views and stuff that I developed. And I discovered in the process, and I'm discovering today yet, that, you know, Jesus is greater than I could have ever imagined. And our view of him is so important to how we live with him it has such importance in how we interact with god and in how we serve him i've said it before that the jesus that you see very much determines the christian that you'll be and so in light of matthew chapter 7 here we learn this we we, we learn this from this text that if you believe that god continues to hand you stones this will not only deeply shape how you view God, but also what you also hand to other people. You know, do you have a deep, deep sense in your spirit that God has given you a stone when you ask for bread? Because until we deal with that and allow God to sort of give us like a, an open heart surgery on that issue, we will struggle in how we relate to him, and that will flow over in how we treat the people around us. Do you know anybody who's profoundly generous, you know, where it just literally pours out of them, who deeply believes that God has only given them a stone or a snake when, in fact, they asked for something good like fish or bread? You see, I don't know people like that. I don't know very many people who behave that way. Do you know anybody who does, in fact, believe that God has just given them stones? Because I can guarantee you that's not somebody going out passing out bread. Because it's very hard to be that kind of person when you have that kind of understanding about God. And so if you believe that God hands you stones when you ask for bread, it's going to be very difficult to be a person who hands out bread to others. It's going to affect how you view God. And rather than seeing his amazing grace that we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians 15, you may begin to live your life in this pattern of trying to earn and achieve rather than simply just receive what God has for you. Because the Apostle Paul, by his grace, I am what I am. When you experience God's love, unconditional love and grace, that is what empowers you 
to live for him. You see, grace is not achieved. It's only received. And because of his grace shown to me, by walking in step with the Holy Spirit, I can now go out and share my experience with others. And grace is not something to be cheapened. Grace isn't something that's just simply a forgive-all clause, but grace empowers us. You see, in the book of Titus chapter 2, it says this. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, still talking about grace here, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. You see, I don't have to do things in order to earn God's grace, but the truth is, is I have received God's grace, and because of that, I'm empowered. I'm motivated. I'm wanting to do good things. I'm wanting to follow him. It teaches me what to say no to and what is worthy of saying yes to because his grace is amazing and I've received it and it's changed everything. It's very difficult to go out and serve a God whom you misunderstand or if it's all law, if it's all just a legal transaction, if it's void of relationship, if, if, if you don't recognize grace in the process and you're simply on this you know, path trying to earn and, and, and trying to not upset God and trying to just sort of appease him. But relearning who Jesus is, experiencing his love and grace and just going back to that place, that changes me and that empowers me to go out and serve him and live for him. And it makes us want to spend our life, you know, really just sharing his goodness with others because we've experienced such an amazing thing. You see, Jesus doesn't, inv doesn't invite us into following a formula. He doesn't invite us into following a good argument, but he invites us into relationship with him. And in good relationships, especially with those whom you love, you don't do good things for them because you have to. You do good things because you love them. And that's where the power of relationship lies. You see, I don't do good things for those in my life just because I have to. I don't do things for my daughters just because I have to and drag my feet all the time. And, oh, got to do this for them today. You know, no, it's not like that. There are times, sure, where, you know, you just have to, you have duties and things you have to get done. You have responsibilities. But it should never be like that 24-7. I do good things for my daughters because I love them and because I want them to be happy, Right? I do good things for my wife because I love her and I want her to be happy, right? The motivation changes. It's not simply a law transaction, but it's relationship. And experiencing grace empowers us to live for God. The Apostle Paul lived in this relationship with God. And the Apostle Paul can see his guilt. There's no denying it. There's no covering it up. Paul is not trying to justify himself before God. You know, do we ever do that? Do we ever sometimes try to justify ourselves? Do we ever try to cover up our wrong behavior or, or try to minimize what we did? Or, or, you know, sometimes, well, I intended to do this, right? Like, we, we always give ourselves the grace of intentions, I think, as people. I know I'm, I, I can do that. You know, I really meant to do this, or I really meant this in the process. You know, Paul would have none of that. He'd have none of that argument. He, he, he knew he was guilty. His sin was clear. He persecuted the church. In Acts chapter 8, we read about this, and we're just going to go there and just read this for a second. 
it, look how it starts off. And Saul approved of their killing him. Well then, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned, and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And this is not just some minor, you know, Paul, this is not just something minor that's happening here. This is the scene where Paul is giving approval to the stoning of Stephen. And Paul goes as far to say in 1 Corinthians 15 that I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because of how I persecuted the church. But guess what, church? <laughs> the apostle Paul learned that grace is amazing. Grace is amazing. You see, he didn't just sing about it, though I love the song, right? But it was reality to him. It was experience. It was something that he knew firsthand, that the grace of God came into his life, came into his situation, and that God had not given up on him. And I think some of us need to hear that today. I think that's a word for someone today. God had not given up on him. Think about a person who you think is just so far gone and that there's just no way that they're going to get to know Jesus. You know, you, you see how they live and they're just so far away. Well, now you know who the Apostle Paul was at one point in his life. He was persecuting the church, approving of death, you know, dragging them off to prison. And the amazing truth is that God had not and will not give up on him. And maybe that's a word for someone out there this morning, right? You know, you feel like God can't accept you maybe, or that you've done too much wrong in your life, or that Christianity is only for, you know, quote-unquote good people or a certain kind of people. But the reality is, is that none of us got into the family of God by being good. I promise you that. I promise you that. All of us are guilty before Jesus. And I tell you this, God has not given up on you. He hasn't. He loves and he has a plan for you and for your life. And this is the beauty of grace. This is what truly makes it amazing. You know, we may try to write ourselves off, but Jesus will have none of that because all are valuable to him. Those you like, those that you don't like, right? Your friends and even your enemies. Regardless of race, regardless of background, regardless of geographical location, the beauty is this, friends, that the message of Jesus is for everyone. And in this case, even for the Apostle Paul, a man who spent time persecuting and trying to destroy the church at one point. And so be encouraged this morning by how much God loves you. My prayer is that each of us would just, would, would just sense that anew today and never stop praying for your loved ones who don't know Jesus. God has not given up, but his love reaches out. And the Apostle Paul experienced this love, this forgiveness, this grace. He did not deserve it, and he knows it. There's no sense of entitlement here. He didn't feel owed anything. He didn't act as though, you know, God was so lucky to have him on his team. He was once the best Pharisee. Now I'm going to be the best Christian. That wasn't his thinking. He didn't even go there. But you know what this grace did in his life? It transformed him. It changed him. And it became something he identified with. It was his identity in Christ. 
all that Jesus had done for him and all that Jesus was now doing in him. And this grace was not without effect, if I could say it like that. Right? It wasn't without effect. He worked hard, harder than anyone else, he said, but not him, but the grace of God that was with him. You know, he wasn't out there trying to um, earn or achieve, but he simply fell in love with Jesus, experienced his grace, and that, in the power of the Holy Spirit, empowered him to live differently in the world. And he lived in this grace, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, I think some of us need to experience that freedom and come to know that grace today for the first time. And we're going to give you an opportunity to do that today. And, and, and I think for others of us, and maybe you'd never say this out loud, but deep down you know that much of your living and much of your serving, you're still trying to earn something. You're still trying to achieve something. Maybe you still feel that you have to pay for your wrongs. Maybe you feel like this is your way of, of um, I don't know, er, er, earning some sort of love or some sort of favor from God. And I believe that Jesus wants to free you from that. That Jesus wants to, 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 to take that away from you because when you taste and see that the Lord is good, when you come to know and experience his love, his forgiveness, and his grace, this does not create a form of idleness or you know, it, it's not just some free pass from sin or something. This is not a free card so that you could find, you know, loopholes of what you can get away with and what you can do now. But this grace, as it did for the Apostle Paul, empowers you to live for him. It's empowering. And as the Holy Spirit strengthens you, you can live for him. And so I want us just to Take that lesson today from the Apostle Paul's words. I am what I am by the grace of God, right? His grace is amazing. His grace does empower us. His grace motivates us, you know, where we can live for God in that sweet spot, friends, where you obey and you serve and you give and you say to God, more of you, less of me, not because you have an agenda, not because you're trying to earn something, but because you have experienced God's grace. You've experienced his love, and because of that, you're in relationship, and you just naturally want to please him. You naturally want to please him, right? In the same way that you would do good things for your kids just naturally because you want them, you want the best for them. You love them. There's relationship there. You know, you fall into that place with God where you just want to obey based on that love, based on that grace you've experienced. I pray that you be encouraged this morning, church, that God has been good to each and every one of us, that he loves us, that he has showered us, you know, lavishes love on us, the scriptures say, and that grace is amazing, and that we would just rediscover that today, and that it would empower us to live for him today, tomorrow, as we go into the world, it would teach us what to say no to, it would teach us what to say yes to, and that we would rejoice in him and share his love with others, because the message of Jesus, friends, is for everyone. And so this morning, as we mentioned at the beginning, we're going to be taking communion together. And so if you'd like to get a cup of juice or something and a piece of bread, um, these are the new ones that we're going to be using at Seoul. They um, make so that, you know, everyone can get their own piece without touching everything, especially in these times. 
And this morning I want us, and I think this is appropriate that this message and this scripture fell on a, a communion Sunday. But I want us just to um, focus in again on everything that Jesus has done for us. Focus in that he went to the cross. He gave up his life so that we can be forgiven of our sins and that we can live in relationship with him, empowered by his grace to serve him. And so let's go back a few chapters in Corinthians to chapter 11. The scriptures say, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of him and his body that was broken for us. Let's, let's eat the bread together today. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In remembrance of his blood was shed so that we could be forgiven, friends. Let's, let's drink the cup together. Thank you, Lord. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you today, God, for the, the love that you've shown each one of us, God, that your grace is amazing, that we are not worthy of it, but we thank you for it. And so I pray for each person here today, God, wherever we're at in our life, for those who maybe for the first time have sensed your love, God, I pray, God, that you would just reveal yourself to them and allow them to encounter your grace in just an amazing way. And for the rest of us, Lord, keep us from being people, God, who, who, who simply serve you to try to earn something or to think that we're getting something. But Lord, help us more and more each day to fall in love with you and to be empowered, God, by the grace we've been experienced. Holy Spirit, be with us. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you care for us. Thank you for every good thing, Lord. We love you and we give you thanks today in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Pastor Andrew mentioned, I want to share an update about our family. Um, we moved to, jo to Winnipeg to join the Soul Sanctuary community in 2015. And it's crazy to think that it's already been that long that we've been here and been able to serve in this role as the adult ministry pastor here. It's been a great time of enjoying the community. It's been a time of growth. It's been a time um, just great serving in this role. And I'm beyond thankful uh, for the time here and being a part of the pastoral team and being a part of this church family. But in the past year or so, my wife and I had sent some change, and we began to pray about what that would look like and what that would be. And my time at Soul Sanctuary has not only been a great experience to serve, but it's also taught me a lot about myself. It's taught me about my giftings. It's taught me about my passions. And so with that in mind, this past year, an opportunity presented itself that we feel particularly good about, and I decided to pursue it. And so long story short, I'd just like to let you know that I have accepted an opportunity in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, to serve as the associate pastor at the Neighborhood Church. And we've let Pastor Jerry know, 
and the steering committee know of our decision and uh, honestly have really just appreciated their encouragement and their support in all this. And uh, I want to reiterate from the bottom of our hearts that this is an amazing church and that we are beyond thankful for you. Um, we're thankful for Pastor Jerry and Sharon, for the whole staff, for the steering committee who give leadership. You know, it's bittersweet when you announce something like this because we love this church and we know that the best is yet to come here at Soul Sanctuary. And yet, at the same time, we're excited about this opportunity that awaits us in Saskatoon. Saskatoon has always held a special place in our hearts. And I know for Manitoba folks with our rivalry a little bit, that's maybe a little bit difficult for you to understand. But just trust me, it's a God thing. Uh, we've always had a, 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 just a special place in our heart for Saskatoon. And so we're going to be around for a while, and we're going to be in the process of setting up for our move in December. But I just wanted you to know about this. And really just thank you for all your support, for all your encouragement, um, for accepting me, and for loving my family. Um, and while we know that uh, we're going to be leaving an amazing community here, uh, we are also excited that we feel this is the next step in our journey. And so I just want to share that this morning. We love you all. And uh, with that in mind, can I leave you with a blessing today? And so in ancient times, the one who blessed did so by extending hands, and those who wanted to receive a blessing did likewise. And so here it is today, church. Lord God, we rejoice in your greatness and power your gentleness and love, your mercy and grace. Enable us by your Spirit to honor you in our thoughts and words and actions and to serve you in every aspect of our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a great week. Looking forward to seeing you next weekend. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Have a great day.